What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Come on for picture, first positions everyone, yo, go. And action! Hello and welcome to episode 340 of the Filmmakers Podcast. Woo! This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to... F it up. In our very, very humble opinion. And on today's show, we have the director, Arij Sahiri, talking all about her film, Under the Fig Trees. It's a heartwarming, slow-burning drama about young women and men working the summer harvest. There they develop new feelings, flirt, try to understand each other, and they find and flee deeper connections. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and a producer. And joining me as my host today is Liza van der Smissen. Hello, hello. So great to be here. This is a joy to have you on. For those of you who don't know Liza, we have worked together on various films. She's been production manager, been producer on various stuff that we've made from Walls of War through Stranger in Our Bed, mm-hmm. uh, Ralph Lauren commercials. <laughs> we've <laughs> well, done it all. And Liza is the co-founder of the Female Film Club. Tell yes. our audience a little bit about you because I love the Female Film Club. You put on amazing events. It's fantastic for independent filmmakers, but obviously with a big focus on women. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell our listeners what they can expect when they join because they really should. Well, first of all, it's amazing to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the Filmmakers Podcast. I Pleasure. love the podcast. Oh, thank and you. It's, it's incredible to be here and having these conversations with you rather than just having them in private with you or listening to you having them with others. Make me very jealous. Yeah, the Female Film Club, we started in COVID as a means to stay connected with everyone in a moment where films weren't being made as mm. such. And it grew up now, three years later, we are a members club. We've got members from over 40 different countries. Everything is online. We have our own app and we do things like working on mindset events and resilience. We have courses around script writing. We actually just opened our networking space, which is a space where a kind of database, see it between maybe the Instagram for creatives Mm -hmm. with the more visual approach and a more creative approach. And we open it up for 200 filmmakers only. Um, after Variety ro- broke the news, which is very exciting. Very exciting. And yeah, so as long as you have made a feature film or have a short film that won an award or have been in the industry for at least three years, mm-hmm. you can do the application. It takes five minutes and you can join the database just to yeah join our community and get in touch. And where should they go for that? femalefilmclub.com if you type in female film club anywhere in google you will find us so you're the co-founder which means you co-founded it with someone else tell us about your amazing partner so yeah i co-founded together with nicole lieberman we started in the pandemic but before that we already made films together Mm. so we had a really good working relationship 
and you know when something just works really well you you grow it and you nurture it and we really helped each other through so many times because we all know filmmaking can be so many ups and downs and having those people in your corner that know you that root for you that you can celebrate with fully because they also know what it took mm-hmm. we're like we want everyone to experience a partnership like this so then we grew out to a community we have i don't know around five six hundred members now from 40 different nationalities wow. and probably as you're hearing it we're just after can or in can which mm-hmm. means we probably have grown even more so it's very exciting to share this it's very exciting you've got your event on the 19th in can but i think this because we're recording this just before we go because we didn't want to record one while we were there basically so we yeah. could enjoy the festival so for those of you who went make sure you sign up <laughs> yes make sure you do sign up no honestly do link to it is in the show notes um and talking of amazing stories erige what do we talk about with her on the podcast we talk about how to make a festival film how to win awards why you should just start i think it's so important sometimes that filmmakers just start we talk about that a lot how she raised the finance and how she got the film finished we also talk how she got her film into incredible film festivals like toronto like Cannes, even venice she won awards we talk about how to make continuity work because she made her film over the span of two years and what that meant for the editing and the lighting and everything in between and we talk about working with non-professional actors and of course the importance of following your intuition as filmmakers so yes There we go. All that is coming up for you on this week's Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode and the feedback, again, we get from you guys every week is lovely. Please do share, support, tell your friends about the podcast. That's how we grow. Find us on Twitter, at Filmmakers Pod, Instagram, the Filmmakers Podcast. And if you have a question for us, go to thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com. Get them in, ask questions, and we will answer them. So, yes, our episode last week was uh, all about AI how that's affecting writers it was all about the writer's strike right now how it could affect you Uh, so if you haven't listened to that go listen to that after you've listened to this yes 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 done Um, we've got so many amazing episodes coming up including Rob Marshall the director of Chicago uh, and also the upcoming The Littlest Mermaid or The Little Mermaid amazing yeah so exciting right I want to hear that though for now though this is me and Liza talking with the rather lovely Arij Sahiri. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. <laughs> From this, uh, which accent you had now? Uh, I'm Dutch. Ah, okay, so that's what I was. Uh... I've been living here for a long time, and my friends are from all over the world. So, okay. yeah. But you're you're French Tunisian, yes. right? Yes. Yes. That's why I have this Frenchy. Frenchy type accent. accent. But you speak fluent French as well as... Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. born in France and I also speak fluent Arabic. Nice. How many times have you been to London? That is... uh, I think uh, maybe fourth time. Fourth time. Yeah, we had... Um, uh, we were in BFI London. So I came and then before, of course, as a tourist, mm-hmm. I traveled here. Yes, with yeah. my mother. Nice. How, well, how old were you when you first... Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was... Uh, 10 years ago. I don't know how old I was. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give away your age as well. It was 10 years ago, so I, I was eight. <laughs> no, I think it was even 15 years ago. I was, I was 25, so and I'm 40 now. Right, right. Yes. Nice, nice. So it's always nice to be here. And 
and I loved uh, the festival and the audience was amazing uh, mm. at BFI London and mm. the and the little theaters uh, where you can screen your film and the the audience was amazing. It was full, booked everywhere. Gorgeous. So Yeah, no, they do it really well at the BFI down there. The the those little screening rooms they have just fill up. People want to come and see what's happening around the world, and I think it's it's kind of beautiful and great that you got in, right? Yes, you know, they had both. They had uh, the big screening uh, for the competition, and they have uh, also other screenings all all over the the city, and uh, that was nice. And also in Glasgow, they had the opening of uh, Glasgow Film Festival. So yeah, and can right. And can of course. Yeah, was that for you? That was uh, that was amazing because it's a first feature narrative, and uh, I mean it's the, the kind of one of the best place to be for first film, mm. and um, and it was amazing because I had my crew and my actors with me. They've never traveled before. They didn't have a passport. What? They never shot any film before because they are non non professional mm -hmm. actors. So it was not just Cannes. It was uh, like the whole emotion of going all together from this little town village in northwest Tunisia to one of the biggest film festival of the world, and was just so uh, stressful and emotional for them. Yes, but I love that it was emotional. Yes, but stressful. Was it stressful because? They were having to get the passports and travel across. Was that something they were worried about? Everything was. The family mm -hmm. were stressed. Uh, the passport, the visa, last minute, they had it two hours before the they flight. Uh, so it was, everything was very stressful. And then what they're going to wear because they don't have all the things you need mm -hmm. for Cannes. And we didn't, I didn't even think about that in the beginning. And then the journalists, how are they going to answer questions that they have never had an interview? Yeah. I mean, they felt comfortable shooting a film because we took some time and we built trust and we built like a real, um, very specific um, way of filming that made them very comfortable. But then suddenly being out there where people are asking you questions mm -hmm. was really stressful to them. But then at the end, it was uh, very beautiful. Yeah, I can imagine they got used to it. You know, got used to the sort of people asking you questions about your film and how proud you must be and they must be. You know, that that's, that's kind of huge, right? Everything was. How did you find them all? Because I believe you met one, the lead actress. Yes. Uh, she wasn't an actress at the time. And she inspired a bit of the story. How did you get the whole cast together? Yes, I was auditioning in a little town uh, in the countryside, and I was just putting posters on in high schools and uh, youth centers, mm -hmm. looking for young people to 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 uh, to play to act in a film. And then suddenly, I was in front of a high school, and I met this girl that was fighting with another. They were arguing about something, her and her friend, yeah. and it's Fide. And yeah. I loved her energy. And <laughs> you fight so well. Yeah, I, said, I love oh my how God, she has such an. Uh, she was like a, I don't know, arguing, and she has a very specific voice. And, and, mm. and at the same time, she feels she looks very fragile mm. physically because, and she's very beautiful, very feminine. Mm. But she has something masculine in her, and very. Um, I don't know if it's masculine, but I don't know. She had both uh, uh, in her, like the figs, you know, the ma the figs male and the and the female. She had both, mm -hmm. and uh, and she has like this strength and this fragility. 
And then when I saw her, I just had a crush on her. And she told me, I'm, you know, I go to high school, but after high school, I have to work. Uh, so I go to, uh, to the farms and I pick cherries or figs. It depends on the season. Wow. And so I went with her at that time. Yeah. It was the cherries. Right. And when I arrived there, I, I saw like a, a frame, uh, like a painting mm. with women and men and, and the colors of their clothes and the green of the trees. And I started to imagine what the dialogues, what, what are they talking about? What the conversation are mm. about? And I start to write under the fig trees. Wow. I love that ideas can come from anywhere. Wherever we are in the world, whatever we're looking at, right now we're at the Standard Hotel. We're overlooking London St Pancras or King's Cross, and it's stunning, right? There's the huge clock tower. And like now you go, well, if we'd stayed in the bar, you have a different impression of where you are and what you're doing. Suddenly you're here and you go, okay, well, how does that change your mindset in terms of storytelling and ideas and creativity? It's kind of beautiful where we are. But I love that, that it, you know, affects wherever you are and suddenly you go hang on this could be a film this could work like now looking over this could this be a heist movie could someone be hanging from the clock tower what it changes <laughs> yeah, you whereas yeah, if we're yeah. in the bar we're going okay well maybe this is a, a George Clooney movie and he's at the bar and he's seducing someone you see what I mean it's yes. and that's what's great about storytelling isn't it I love how you follow that impulse of mm. like I love this energy I'm gonna pursue it and see where it leads you do you, does it happen often with you in life or was that like just a one time and it worked out to be this incredible successful film now i think i'm coming from documentary so yeah. when you come from documentary filmmaking that's how you you have your impulse it always comes from energy or people you've met or access to a story or a place you've went to or, and uh, so it was the same it was it just followed my natural filmmaking uh, intuition intuition yeah. And uh, and I knew at that time that it would be difficult to finance, to produce, to convince people that uh, this film would happen under the trees for one hour and a half yeah. <laughs> and people talking to each other. And uh, I knew it's going to be difficult. So I decided to uh, produce it in the beginning mm -hmm. and then and then have co-producers after uh, to come in and to, to this non-spectacular because that's I was just looking to write a normal day uh, that seems... Um, their typical day. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had to recreate life the way I see it uh, into a film, which is the opposite of fiction because usually fiction is about drama, dramaturgy, and like you have to... And um, and there I had to stop myself sometimes because I'm like, it's a fiction, I can go further, but yeah. I don't want to. Mm. That must have been interesting, like you say, because as storytellers, you, you, for our whole lives, we've had a beginning, middle and an end, even from children's stories. Someone gets up in the morning, there's an issue, they solve it and they go back to bed that night and everything's happy. That's a children's story type thing. We've grown up with that. And then to sort of stop yourself to go, no, no, I just want to. Tell a story. This is that, it. This is it. There's no, this is just a moment. This is a, a, a fragment of their days that could be over a month, but we're putting it into a day type thing. This, you know, all these little stories and, and dialogue was amazing as well. Yeah. Was, was any of it improvised or was, was, had you written it as it was? Cause that's, I mean, maybe there was bits, but it, that was what was fascinating because you, you, you create this world. And I thought, okay, how did she manage to make it feel so real? 
Yes, but because also the importance of uh, the importance of dialogue in the film is also a political statement in a way mm. because uh, those young generation, um, even though if they are trapped in uh, under the streets, which is also trapped in a country or trapped in an economical situation, whatever their social social situation they are trapped in in their life, they have a way to speak that is very free. And the way of flirting also, it's like they're giving us listen of flirting. And uh, and I like to play that with them. And for me, it was a way to say also that, you know, we had a revolution 10 years ago in Tunisia. And you can feel it in the way this young generation speak. So the dialogue were the most most important things in, in, in the film. And how I built it, uh, the scene were written, uh, but the dialogue were improvised. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. It's a mix between... Some of my writing and some of uh, the actors' uh, proposition uh-huh. that we rehearsed, and then say, okay, in the rehearsal, this is too much. This is not enough. This is not realistic. Blah blah blah. And we will work together mm. on the dialogue, and then um, yeah. So so we had a lot of them or were improvised. That's interesting. I think the frames also kind of complement that because it's all like quite close ups, mid frame. You don't see really wide angle is that also on purpose with the feeling of being trapped under the fig trees did you have that like vision from the beginning or was that developed throughout the process yes i think it developed when i started rehearsing with the camera with my my uh, dop director of photography and also with the fact that when i was writing asking myself what do i want to say about this generation and uh, and i think i wanted to say that uh, they are suffocating uh, in their society, nothing has changed for them, even though we went through revolution. And in the same time, they are in this beautiful area with a beautiful light, which mm. is the country itself. Um, and the way they pick the figs when they put their hands up, you can feel like they want to get out in a way. But um, so I think showing it through a um, close up was a way for me to express it. And in the same time, it's portraits. Of women and men, so it goes with the portrait idea of of having each faces uh, telling a story, even though we don't have it all. Mm. Oh wow, it's so nice to hear, isn't it? It's uh, it's visually stunning. Right? Every time you're talking about it as well, my mind goes back to that world, and you can see the hands reaching up to the fig trees, and yeah, and it 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 did look beautiful as well in terms of how it was lensed, how it was shot. Everything felt natural and felt very real. And that's, I imagine, what you wanted to get across. How did you talk to your cinematographer then about what you wanted? Because obviously coming from a documentary background, I, I felt that was wonderfully in there as well. It did feel that way. It felt like, could this be a documentary as well? And it was really nice. How did? Because obviously, I don't know if your cinematographer had shot with you before or they came from a more of a film background rather than documentary how was that relationship how did you talk to them about getting what you wanted uh, Frida her name is Frida Marzouk she actually um, was coming more from from fiction mm. and um, and we had to uh, during the rehearsal she had to follow the gestures of the actors because we never know how they will move mm-hmm. and every time we will do again the scene they will do it differently so she will got she will ha- she got used to each one of them kind of uh, gestures and and she will be following and I remember that I told her as a documentary filmmaker uh, usually uh, DOP they are really concentrating on the image mm-hmm. 
their focus their focus is the image but when you shoot like that uh you have to also listen and and which means then you know uh what is the most important to shoot at that moment in the dialogue of mm. course we will do it again but still she had to have this um intuition yes instinct and, Yeah. And I had to trust her. Mm. So it was the first time for us. It was amazing and I, I will still work with her again and and I think she 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 very very fast understood the type of film we're going to to make. Mm. What a challenge and close up and follow them yeah. and do it different. <laughs> Incredible. Yes. How was that for the edit? To edit all these <laughs> improvised things because it seems so seamless every single thing and actually we shot it in two years can you imagine What? two different seasons yes <gasps> in different seasons yes that's interesting and the light is so consistent wait two diff I mean, wait tell us more about this because <laughs> we're both going wait because the actors grow as well because they're young so that changes their look because I, well, I, i there was one point where i went hang on they is that they look a little old. there was something with the hair or something and then i, I thought no not at all is Was it? <laughs> But also I think it's the idea that this one day is like a lifetime. Yes. So it was okay if at the end of the day they would be a bit different because we want in every film that mm. car our characters to be different at the yeah. end of the film. Uh, but that was tricky to do because it's only one day and we shot um, in September uh, during, because the picking is August and September in right. this area. And first of all, we didn't have enough money to finish the film. Okay. Because actually we were supposed to rehearse and shoot the film the year after, but I felt the energy was so strong that I said, no, we're going to shoot it now. But then it was not enough figs to finish. <laughs> so wow. we it had picked to... all the figs. Yes, yeah. because it's not plastic figs, you know, it's like natural, mm -hmm. it's not natural trees. And, um, and, uh, and so we had to wait one more year on next September mm -hmm. to finish the shooting. So we did it in two different uh, time. And, wow. uh, and that was stressful because uh, in their mm. real life, some things happened. We had one of the characters who couldn't come back, one of the girls who got married and she was pregnant already, uh, which was, uh, it was tricky. But uh, yeah, we had to compose with, with all the differences. But was, um, what was really surprising is when I arrived in the orchard, Because I was really worried about the characters, the, the, the real people, like mm. what's going to happen. They changed their hair. I was calling them the whole year. Please don't cut your hair. Please <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. don't cut your hair. Don't no do tattoos, that. no piercings. Yes. No yeah. sun, no yeah. even the skin color oh, because we had yeah. no makeup. Right. We had no hairdresser or makeup on the, on the, on the set. Okay. So they had to be the same naturally. And, but when I arrived in the orchard, actually what I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. Was that the orchard changed? Uh, changed, right? It was more yellow. Wow! Because the, we didn't had rain that year, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's not the same location." Mm. It's, it, how am I going to do that? You know, <laughs> but I was saved by the closet. So, so how much did you? Okay, I want to dive in more into this because this is fascinating. I am on my first feature. I had to shoot a year later as well with some kids, like the pickups, and the only time we could get back was a whole year later. And these kids were like six and seven, so they were seven and eight, and that's a huge difference. Luckily, it was the beginning of the film and the end of the film, so I could get away with it. Time had, you know, supposed to be a couple of days, but you can get away with that because it's the beginning and the end. It wasn't like the next shot so how did you manage that I suppose let's talk about how much you shot first in that first year and was it stuff that you were picking up that was in the same scene or was it at least 
chronologically. Yeah, chronologically <laughs> moving forward. It was both. It was both. No, yes, like the argue scene between Senna and Fide was mm -hmm. two different years. Really? The lunchtime. Oh, oh. Uh, yes, we had. Uh, hopefully, the ending scene was shot uh, on the first. First block. First block. Okay. It's good because all the characters had to be in, in that it. scene, on that scene, on mm -hmm. the track. Mm -hmm. So it's good that I had them all because on the second uh, shooting, I didn't have them all. No, one was pregnant, another was yes. doing something else. <laughs> we had also even one in prison. So <sighs> it was really, yeah. But but the editing was challenging. It was a, um, a long edit. Uh, I had editors. I also edited myself. And it was really like picking the figs also the same way because we were picking um, looks and gestures and smiles mm. and, and, uh, and mixing uh, the scenes. It's not, it's not like a, a classical film where you take the best Sure. Shout! Oh, you you take the best um, take. Take yes. Here you had we had to mix all the takes, the best of them. All. That one smile, that one look. Yes. So there was a, also a very intuitive uh, editing. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely not uh, um, what we like. Like what I learned or something. It was really intuitive. Uh, I even had people who were never who never edited before who edited some scenes in the film. I love that. Just by intuition. Just going, I'm going to feel what feels right, when to cut. Yes. That's brave. Um, okay, so in that period, after you'd shot the first year, first block, did you start editing the stuff you had then to see what you had and see yes. what was missing? Did that help you? And I mean that in a way, because sometimes if you do it all in three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, your shoot, and you're not allowed pickups, you don't get a chance to breathe and look at your film and go, ah, If I could reshoot that now, I would change this or I would bring the character in differently. Did that help you, the break? It did, but I think the film was already there. So I had the, it was the opposite. I had to uh, make sure I will not change the tone. I will not uh, be more spectacular than it is. Mm. Or because you have, this, you have this tendency, you want to add things. Yes. And... Um, And for me, it was the opposite. I had to come back to the essence of the film that we already had in the first shooting mm. and keep the same energy for the second one. Mm -hmm. So it was more of a... But what happened in the second one was really, really funny is we were shooting the, again, uh, the scene that we start shooting a year before between Sene and Fide, who they argue about society and men and patriarchy. And then you have an old man. Yeah. So you have an old man come to Fide and, and he's not happy about the words he used. And this man actually was not an actor. He was a, a real worker and he was working, uh, picking fees while we're shooting the film. Wow. And he was on his tree. And when he heard uh, Fide, <laughs> said yes. that. he thought it was a maybe a documentary or he didn't even think about a film. He He saw the crew, but he didn't. He didn't realize, he thought that what she was saying was true. I mean, that's what that was coming from her. So he, mm -hmm. he got offended and he came down his street and I saw him coming and I looked at my DOP and I said, I think something is going to happen. I think he did not understand. So now we have to shoot because we just stopped work. We cut, we were doing something else. Right. And you were like, quick turn over. I right? turned over and I, wow. I, I looked at Fide and I said, you have to improvise, you have to improvise. And then, and, and, and that's it. And so that whole the, scene was a one take scene. Wow. Well. Yes. It's a documentary moment. Documentary moment, which yes. worked perfectly. Yes. And afterwards, did he 
say, oh, it was acting, it was <laughs> filming. Hank, why is there a camera in my face? What are you doing? On close On up. On close up and spinning around. Did he have anything to say about it? Was he, he was, in the beginning, happy? he was looking at the camera, so we had to turn it. Oh, yeah. Stop looking <laughs> yes. at the camera. Pivot. <laughs> not supposed to be here. I think he thought it was TV or... Yes. Uh, you yeah, know, like he didn't understand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Fide was amazing at improvisation. Yeah. Yes. And then when we cut, we told him and he started to laugh. <laughs> and he and then we told him we're going to make you a contract now of an actor it's, because you're yes. in the film. Yeah, now you need to sign release form, please. <laughs> so he had a one day paycheck for a little one, but yeah, one part. but still, yeah. And he's part of the film now. That's beautiful. wow! I love how that all that experience of you as a documentary maker and just. You're being led by your intuition and trusting that intuition and in the spur of the moment that the film is a kind of compromised constellation from all these different elements. Yes. I think it's interesting because usually that's what that's not what we're expecting from fiction to be. We're expecting it to be well prepared. Um and uh and I think we did the opposite and I was also I don't know, liberating and, um, and maybe also more accessible and, uh, and more surprising. And, and I, I think it's even, it was like, um, I don't know. I think it's what's what I like in cinema myself. Mm. So talk us about your start then your beginning. Cause obviously you made documentaries, you produced as well as directed and written them. What, what was it that made you go, I want to do this? as a career? Actually, I think I realized that not a long time ago how I started. I didn't know. I Because I was a, a former journalist at, a, some, at some point. I was uh, always wanted to do cinema, but I didn't know how it, will, it all started. It, And I think it started, like a lot of filmmakers maybe, uh, by seeing a frame in a way that I grew up in a suburbs, in, in immigrant suburbs in Lyon. And at that time, it was in the beginning of the 80s. And it was, um, we had a lot of issue with uh, young people from the suburbs and the police. And it was the first years of what we called um, the suburbs um, strikes, mm. where people went on the street and fighted and so on. And we had um, the uh, March for Equality. Right. It was a very big march in France in the, in the 80s, where so people started to mar march against racism and equality in um, mm. in so many things. And because my parents were afraid for me and my brothers, we won't be allowed to go out so much. And I was living on the ninth floor of a building in the suburbs. So you can't even so climb out the window. always <laughs> watching <laughs> by the window right. what's going on. So sometimes you had cars that burned, sometimes you have drug dealers, sometimes you have love stories, whatever. And I realized way later that that was the beginning of me watching, observing, and telling my own stories through the, the, the frame that was my, my room window. <laughs> wow. Did you start writing things down at that point? Was this how I started to write but not 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 really writing and then and then I went to the um, uh, theatrical theatrical cinema in my neighbor. We had a cinema and was watching movies until I um discovered Abdelatif Keshish is a French French Tunisian filmmaker. 
Right. Uh, yeah, who yeah. did uh, Blue is the Warmest Blue Color. Blue is the Warmest Color is a great film, yes. And when I started to uh, watch his films, the, something has changed uh, mm. because also the way uh, their um, uh, characters speak were closer. Even in the beginning of their of his films, he was shooting in the suburbs uh, with migrants uh, families. And I felt like the characters are more like me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of uh, related to the characters and I start to follow him. And then I have discovered all um, Nouvelle Vague cinema. I didn't go to cinema school. So that was, and then later on, I studied finance anyways. I went to oh. a bank. I worked in a bank okay. and all of that, Yeah, you know, and then, uh, and then I went for journalism. So it was a... A lot of storytelling and money sounds like a director and a producer. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Was there a moment though when you started to pick up a camera, you know, properly? You know, was it that journalistic time? Did did the journalism sort of find your way into documentary filmmaking? Was it kind of an easier route for you to sort of go, okay, well, I'm talking about these subjects, I might as well document them? With a camera. Yes, I think that was uh, at this in parallel. Mm. Uh, I was a freelancer, so I had to, to pitch stories. Right. Which was the beginning of uh, documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was short stories. That's the difference. Mm. Uh, and then I worked in the news a bit. I didn't like it so much, but I was always, always pitching short, uh, short stories. I uh, moved to Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, so I had to also to tell stories from both sides. Yeah. Uh, Israeli and Palestinians, and um, and I've learned a lot. And then I went back to my neighborhood also with the idea that you can have a different vision from where you are from when you leave. So when you go- come back, it's what's new. What's uh, so I started to develop that, and then slowly, slowly, I went to documentary. I completely um, quit the journalism. Mm-hmm. I even had some people later on in my career telling me that I have a journalistic um, approach right. to storytelling. I don't know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. But it, it's just that it was a great school. Mm. For, for someone who never went to cinema school, I think that was the best. How are you combinating journalism and uh, filmmaking? Well, we don't, we, we're mainly just filmmakers, aren't we? So the journalism side isn't really... It's blogging or podcasting which I, I don't know I suppose it is journalism in a way but I, I think it's like the amplifying of storytelling yeah. like the diving in how the what what's the story behind the story mm. I think for the female film club it's really like amplifying these stories like someone made an incredible film why how everybody here in London know about this film go and see it go support it because you spoke about after you've seen films like Blue is the Warmest Color, things like that, the power of having a kind of role model or someone that you're like, ah, people who tell my stories are great, which means my story is valid, which means my story can be heard. And I think the more voices of different stories we get out there, the more people we can inspire to be like, yes, your story matters. Your story can be told. Let's go out and make it. That's for me yeah that's that's beautiful as well by the way it's so good and yeah for me it's about inspiring filmmakers as well by hearing people like you the story and why i think it's so hard when you're trying to make a film and that struggle because you have no way of getting a film made you're like well it's impossible i've come up with an idea in my head in my and then what then what and it's actually that then what that we try and demystify and try and say actually there is 
the then what is you, the then what is going and knocking on the doors and pushing and getting rejections and failing upwards all the time. And the more you can do that, then you'll become the filmmaker you were supposed to be in the first place. If someone just comes and knocks on your door after you go, I've got an idea, here's a million pounds, you're not going to be a good filmmaker. You're just going to go, oh, it's easy. This isn't hard. And actually by... No, I'm, 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 hey, look, it's true. it could be good, but the point is, yes, from my side, you've become clever. You become ways to tell resourceful the story. And, resourceful. Yeah. How can you tell this on nothing? How can you make this work with the camera and the time and the light that we've got? Well, that only makes you better when you do have someone going, here's a million pounds to go make your film. And that to us is what we're trying to do is just to say, yeah. look, you know, we've been lucky in some way. We've got to make films. That's how we did it, but your journey might be different. So. Yeah, you're right about demystifying the, the, the process. And that's what I learned also from this director and also his uh, co-writer. And that was amazing because I never knew at that time when I was watching his film that uh, his co-writer and co-editor will be my co-writer and my co-editor yeah, because she's the one it. who worked on my film. All right. See? It's, yes. It's, and, and because you probably loved his film so much that when you did meet her, Then you would be like, la croix. there you go. You could say, oh my God, I loved your work, which if for anyone hearing that, you'd be surprised. People don't do it. It's quite amazing. They just go, I want to work with you or here's my script, make it. But it's like, hang on, have you watched my stuff? If you have, tell me you liked it. Tell me because it makes you go, ah, okay, thank you. All right. I want We're on to the same page. Yes. We can make a film together. And yeah, I think yeah. sometimes it can be so much, even the whole networking of like, this is my CV. I want to sell myself rather than... What do we have in common? How do we want to make film? What's your vision? What's my vision? Where, what makes you take? What makes you come alive? And from mm -hmm. that premises and that enthusiasm to go in rather than what you say, okay, please make my film. Yeah. yeah. I've learned a lot from her because she actually teached me to, uh, to start. Um, because usually also in fiction, you have to be, take some time, also the industry, the way it works, to finance and everything and so on. And she really uh, encouraged me to um, to use it as a, an, for her it's an art. For her, cinema is only art. Mm. So you just have to start, even if it's taking a small camera and filming two characters. Or She even encouraged me to do auditioning while we didn't have a film yet. Mm-hmm. Or uh, to go on the on the opposite side to find the orchard, mm -hmm. or we didn't even have the scenario yet. Mm -hmm. uh, like the orchard is a character. Yeah. It's just for her. It's like to print things in your mind and your body, and those printing will start to create something mm -hmm. that is concrete and becomes a film. It's so important to do that, and it's so lovely you say that. It just is. People, that's one thing. They go, how do I make a film? Start. It's true. Just start. Do it. Go on the location recce, wherever it is. Draw your images you want to do. Set your storyboard. Set your shot list. What do you want? Move it forward. Speak to a cinematographer. Speak to a producer and just say, here's my story. If you're sitting in your room going, oh, well, no one's helping me make my film. Well, what do you expect? No one's knocking down anyone's doors. They're busy, busy people making stuff. So you have to knock it down. And it's true. Start. And it's okay if you don't know exactly what your story is. Mm -hmm. I think it's also um, yeah. uh, something I've learned through time that you get to know what's your story sometimes at the end of, yeah. of the process. Right, yes. Uh, but uh, of course you have to convince people so you have to know where you're going, I mean, at, at least why you're yeah. doing it. Uh, but you can also um, not know everything and it's okay. Mm -hmm. I think it's so nice that sometimes we stop ourselves when we don't know the whole path yet. 
even if you think you know the whole path of filmmaking, <laughs> you don't, yeah. and it will always change. So just start. I just love you touched upon your why. Could you speak to us about your why in this film? Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's uh, uh, there's many ways. <laughs> Uh, one of them is uh, I really wanted to make a film in my father's original village uh, that he left when he was 15 to migrate to France. And um, and I knew in the country, because there's all, for me, when you do a film like that in Tunisia, there's the um, local story, the very specific story that will touch the village or the area or the country. And then you have, of course, the universe, universal story part of it. Uh, for me, the local story is that this accent uh, that is very um, specific to this area, it's like you have in in UK too and everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, um, usually in, in cinema or in TV, it, we are making fun of them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, oh, this rural countryside accent. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to have this real accent in a film right. as a kind of as a statement because for a long time during dictatorship we uh, developed the coast of Tunisia where tourist people we used to go to the beach but inside the countryside was completely um, left over mm. as you say um, Un untouched untouched yes. like we didn't really uh, worked on it on the infrastructure or uh, and so it was re really important for me to, to, to make a film there. And then, um, there's also, um, stories of women going to the farms to work on pickup trucks and there's accidents because they are not, they don't have seatbelt. Mm. They are standing up on the backup of the pickup truck. So we had a lot of, uh, incidents and accidents and a lot of women actually died from, from that. Mm. And so I, when I went to ask for the names of those women, um, they didn't give me names. They said, we don't know the names. We just have the numbers. Oh. And I was wow. kind of shocked about that. Yeah. And so when I met Fide in front of a high school, I thought, oh my God, if she, she still have lack of opportunities, she will be a pickup truck woman. Hmm. We call them like that. Hmm. Uh, she would be one of them. And if my father didn't, a migrant didn't mm. leave. You, Maybe I will be one of yeah, the, those women. Maybe I will be Fide. Yeah, and that's and that's for all this reason. Also, the the scarf that Fide wears in the posters is my grandmother's scarf. Mm -hmm. Wow! So it's an homage. Yeah. Um, yes, there's, there's a lot of things here and there that uh, the, that um, pushed me to 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 tell the story. Those how, stories. And how did you raise? The money, like you said, at one point you didn't have enough. Uh, at one point you said there was, you know, issues. How did you go about going, okay, if, even if this is just me doing this, this is my team and really, really small, you've still got to plan it. You've still got to make sure people get there, you know, the transport, the toilets, the food, all this kind of stuff just keeps adding and adding up. And filmmakers <laughs> do forget this a lot of the time. Or directors just go, oh, well, we're just going to shoot there. And you go, well, yeah, but how are we getting there where is there to stay where is it to eat? it all costs and it's it's one of those things that filmmakers do forget sometimes um or don't know yet because they haven't experienced it what, how did you navigate that how did you make it work uh because i was also the producer so everything was uh related to it, like uh, uh, um, even the creative process or the places we shoot or how it would be organized will depend on the money we had we didn't have so much 
Actually, I went to business um, women and men in the area, farmers, to ask for money. Nice. Uh, and saying that also it's very important that we hear this accent in cinema, that we talk about those women, mm -hmm. um, and so on. And that we give also chances to the, to this generation of young people from the area, you know, to have a voice. Uh, so there's different, uh, and each one you talk to them differently. I said, I will speak differently, of course, to each one of them. It depends if he's a farmer, he's not a, he's not from the industry. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk to him about a film or whatever, you know, I have to talk about something more concrete mm -hmm. for him. So, and then we started shooting. I contacted a producer in France that I met. She, um, she loved the project and another in Switzerland and slowly, slowly, but we started already. That's what I said. Mm -hmm. When we start shooting, we didn't have the money for the third week of shooting. Wow. Right. So we were shooting and then in the morning or in between midday, because the sun was too high, I will go and look for money. So I will send emails, talk to people, um, and, and do that. And that's you, not only you're there directing, you're there setting everything up and then you're going right now, I need to go find the money. That's Because I amazing. think, yes, I think the energy of uh, wanting to make a film and you have a specific time, you need mm. the sun, you need the figs. You have this, all these people around you waiting for you to say something, mm. uh, give you an impulse. <laughs> yes. That it's becoming survival. Like you have to find the money. You have to do it, you know? Yeah. And it does. And when you've got that drive, it changes everything. There's a film we made and the money fell through at one point when we're in the middle of, you know, pretty much in the middle of shooting. You, suddenly something else comes alive in you that you go, well, we have to find this money. And when you're in that position, things change like i say if someone came up and you go oh, i've got a story idea here's a million pounds you're now not in that frame of mind which is bravery recovery absolute uh it's like there's there's no way you're not going to get it yes you just need to find the way exactly. because people are depending on you you have yeah. that story and i think what you said is fantastic of you didn't go a traditional what it sounds like the first kind of round of funding it wasn't traditional it was like this is a story that matters i'm gonna find the funding and i think Everybody makes a film in a different way and there's not one right way of making a film. It's just making a film. And I think this is another proof of that. Mm -hmm. You find a way to make your film in the best way that's suited for this film at that time. And I think that's that resourcefulness is is what everybody can can learn from, especially at the beginning of your journey. Oh, but I didn't get this type of funding. Or, no, no, no. F find your way. Speak to the people in the way that mm -hmm. it works for them, and make it. Mm. I find that really beautiful. And also with the DP, we talked about that because we had no lighting, no mm. equipment, rather than the camera and the sound. And uh, and 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 she was okay because she used to work with big crews and big. But she was okay with that, and she said, "Okay, we will play with the sun." We will turn around the sun, we will turn around the trees. Yeah. And uh, and she loved it after that because also it was uh, very um, liberating. Mm. Well, it's freeing, isn't it? When you're not stuck to the traditional, right, we need to shoot all this way, turn all the lights this way, set it all up. And then after lunch, we'll turn everything around and shoot the other way. And actually to be that freedom, especially with your actors, not being actors and being, you know, regular people who wanted to do it. It changes everything because if they see all that big setup, the big cameras yeah. coming in, the big lights, they get nervous, they get worried. Whereas, mm -hmm. like you said, the guy who was thought he was going to have an argument didn't even know. So, therefore, imagine <laughs> if he saw like big lights and boom operators and things. He, it's a different kind of feeling and that relaxed feeling that you got across on the film that it felt very natural. I had no idea that none of these people weren't actually actors. And I think that's a huge testament to you 
for not only casting brilliant people, but also making sure that they felt comfortable on set. Was it always a conscious choice to do that? Did you always say, I'm not going to have like actor actors, I'm going to have people who I just find, people who want to do this? Yes, from the beginning, as I said, because of mm. the accent, because of the area, uh, I, I, because we've never, um, there's no businesses in this place. There's nothing. Mm. There's only farms, but also the farms are critical. So for me, it was a way to say, let's do something uh, in art also. let's. It's, it's like, um, for them, it was um, a rencontre, I know how you say, with cinema. Mm. Um, and, and what was beautiful is that we didn't start in a classical way, but then we, we managed to come back to the industry to say hello, you know, we are not just doing our thing on our side in our little town here. We are part of the world. Yeah. Hello, Cannes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hello, London. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So then we start to send the film to post-production um, um, uh, workshops uh, in Venice. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we also had this strategy to not send it too much to so much workshops. Yes. To say, you know, we know the film we made. Mm-hmm. We don't ha- we don't need workshops. We just need people to watch it and to um, protect it. Mm. And yes, and and to uh, uh, finish the impulse. Yes. You know that we had. So we sent it to Venice, and it was amazing. We had like eight awards. Wow. In Venice. For, uh, for to finish the film, and that's right. how with Venice, then we send it to Marrakesh Film Festival, mm-hmm. and we also got the prize, the award, and then how we, this is how we finished the film, and then we had and then we had Ken. Wait, so when you mean by then finish the film, did that give the impetus? Just so our listeners understand what that means, yes. did that give you the impetus to? Or give you extra money or funding to finish the film? Yes, because at that time we did not finish the edit. Uh, we did not had money anymore for post production mm. because we all the money we could have we use it for shooting. So these uh, awards uh, they gave you money, mm-hmm. and they give you also sometimes um, an award for um, a sound mix in Paris, example. Right. So you don't have to pay for it. You go to Paris, you are, you have an award for it, and and they do the mixing. So this is how we managed to finish the film. So which awards did you win in Venice and what did they give you? Was it, did you get the sound mixing in Paris? We had sound mixing, we had coloring in Rome. Uh, we had some money from Switzerland Festival and uh, we had uh, subtitling. Uh, so basically Amazing. almost <laughs> a lot of post-production mm. uh, um, that we needed. And I think that's really important that festivals keep go keep having this kind of uh, yes. awards mm. uh, f- for films like that to be able to, f- to you know to be able to be very creative. And if you don't even did, didn't get the funding before, you still can um, you can have some money to to do your film at the ending. So so that was that was really important. And also it was important because what happened in Venice. Uh, <laughs> I think we hear it in Cannes or something like that. You know, it's like, yes. it, it was the beginning of, oh, there's this film coming from Tunisia, you know, mm. that mm. prepares the premiere of the film so, somehow. Mm. What did you learn from making Under the Fig Trees you're going to take to your next film as a director? What I've learned. Mm. I've learned something I knew already that I have to follow my intuition. Yes. Yeah, we, yeah. Sometimes we, know we don't act on it. And we're like, okay, I should have done that. I knew that and I didn't. What was that? Do you want to say? 
I don't know. I think if what I learned, oh my God, I learned a lot of technical things mm -hmm. that I didn't know that I've learned on set with the technician. I've always learned so much from the technicians, actually, in documentary. That, that's how I learned filming. Uh, you mean like lens sizes or you mean uh, in terms of the editing, lighting, the lighting? Uh -huh. uh, the, the, where you have to be, um, mm. uh, the way, um, I don't know, uh, I love, uh, I've, I've learned a lot of technical things and then, but the rest I, I didn't, um, I don't know, I've never thought about that, I have to think about it, <laughs> I have to make a list of what I learned. Mm. Uh, but to keep being stubborn, I think, uh, that was, uh, yeah, something, but also the idea is that not to make another under, fig under the fig trees. That was this film. It, mm -hmm. That's the way we did it. That's how we had to, to do it. But it doesn't mean that my next film is, is, uh, the same way. Mm. And that's why it doesn't matter what I learned because what I will do next, I will learn something else because yes. it will be something else. And, and that's what this filmmaking is about. I think it's like you've never learned everything. You, it's 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 um, film is it's another story. Mm -hmm. That's another story to learn something else or fail upwards, as we say. I think it's super inspiring what you've done. I think it's incredible. I think our listeners are going to love hearing your story. And I think what, what I like about that as well is that you went to find the money by knocking on farmers doors and people who lived in the area to say we're doing this in the area and so many filmmakers get scared by like say i've got a story and you go great we'll speak to people in your area people go oh, i must go to london or new york or la or wherever else to get the funding this is where the hub is well no a lot of the places they've already got projects for one money's really hard to come by and it's studio money and they're not going to put money into your film if you've not made one but yet there's people around you who are very happy to support and and they did that with you they yes. literally said yes in covid in the crisis mm. in a very small country that haven't doesn't have so much money where everybody was going to tell you hey, nobody's going to yeah. give you any money it's covid whatever it mm -hmm. but no you have to go to people that you know they have an emotional um connection mm doesn't mean directly to be to the story itself, but mm -hmm. to something yes, around something. it, something. Yes. I, I remember we went to see a director of a, of a very uh, famous school in Tunis, but we know he's coming from this area. And he yeah. left this area a long time ago. Yeah. So you, you need to know people's stories to get the money also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, we, and he set up a very pri a private school of engineers that is very successful in Tunisia. And we knew that he's successful. Mm -hmm. So we went to talk to him to say, you know, we are coming from this uh, village originally. <laughs> we want to make a film there. We, we know that you, um, you care for this young, young generation. Yeah. And we want to see if you're, you will be okay to support us in any way you want. Mm -hmm. And he did. And he put some money into the film. Amazing. And that was really incredible. Like Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and and I think I learned also that it's okay to also work sometimes for some things with people who are not part of the industry. Yes. Because yep. I got this guy because of one of my friends. She's very good in in this kind of things to contact people. She knows a lot of people. She has a good network. Not necessary in the industry, mm -hmm. outside of the industry. Yeah. And she was very helpful. Mm. And often it's so much better. Three Day Millionaire was funded by most people who weren't in the industry. In fact, I don't think 
And maybe one was, you know, and that and we had, you know, quite a lot of investors. And there were just people from the area, like you say, who had a connection, had there was something that made them want to invest and be part of it. And you've done that brilliantly. So well done. Really well done. Thank you. Yeah, great. Well, listen, this has been really fun, right? Um, I love it. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for spending time with us. Um, you can go out there and make your film, everyone. Be inspired by this. Go do it. Believe in yourself and get your films made. Start is basically what we're saying start now do something now today to make your film happen and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down we'll see you next Tuesday as always thank you very much for joining us Ellie thank, thank you. you thank you thank you so much take care everyone bye amazing yeah. that was so good you look brilliant hello yeah. thank you thank you <laughs> that was lovely. a nice one yes yeah. nice Filmmakers podcast. Don't do that. Nothing. No. Okay. Yo. 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 Mm, mm. Talk about film. Talk about film. Talk about. Talk about. Talk about film. film. Mm. Uh, uh. To be continued. <laughs> Every, next time we do a podcast, we'll have a an organized rap. An organized rap. <laughs> a rap party. We'll call it. Maybe not a rap. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Hey, hey. Just got that. Very good. Very good. <laughs>